Hello, and welcome to the Reach or Miss Show, the podcast for the customer-focused entrepreneur, where Hayut Yogev speaks with entrepreneurs for entrepreneurs about reaching or missing the critical point of approaching the right customer with the right message at the right time and place. The point where business success starts. And here is your host, Hayut Yogev. Rich or Miss, episode 130. Hey, Richers, I'm excited with this show today for two reasons. First, because my guest today is among the most influential entrepreneurs on a mission to impact not only entrepreneurs, but every human being on this planet with two words. And the second is because of my new free masterclass for entrepreneurs about the three secrets behind a powerful social media presence. So go to richomiss.com slash free training and check it out. Angela Myers has been listed as one of IBM's top 20 global influencers named by Forbes as one of the top five education leaders to watch in 2017 and 2018, and is among Huffington Post's top 100 social media influencers. Angela founded the global movement Choose to Matter in 2014. The nonprofit organization grew out of the impassioned response to a TED talk she gave on the power of two simple words that went viral. You matter. She is an author of nine books, including the highly acclaimed Genius Matters and Classroom Habitudes. Futurist, innovator, educator, entrepreneur, change maker. Angela Meyer is on a mission to disrupt the status quo and to empower every individual to change their own world, if not the world around them, for the better. It is fair to say she leaves no room unchanged. Please join me in welcoming Angela Myers. Angela Myers, what a pleasure to have you here. Hey! Hi, the pleasure is mine. Welcome, welcome from Denver, Colorado. So yes. <laughs> I'm so honored to be here. I am honored to have you here and I'm so happy you are here. I just shared with our listeners what you've done until now. And I would like to ask you, what are you doing and most passionate about today? And where are you heading? And we're both smiling, I should tell our listeners, yeah. because they don't know, because... We just talked about passion, or you just talked about passion yes. the minute before we started uh, the recording. <laughs> so what are you doing and most passionate about today and where are you heading? So as long as I can remember, my passion and my mission was to educate. I'm a linguist, so the core root of the word educate means to lead out. And that's <laughs> what people don't um, quite understand. They think education is putting information in when it is the complete opposite. It is seeing the gifts in front of you and help lead them out and move them to be contributed to the world. 
So it doesn't matter if I'm with five-year-olds, which is how I started my career, hmm. or I'm working with a Fortune 500 company. To be able to lead out the genius that exists within individuals and organizations is what my mission, what my my mantra, what my my whole essence is about, to educate, to lead out. Wow. And um, how did this education... Um... How did you start with that and what was the journey? How did it come to what you're doing today and what are you doing today? Because I loved learning since as long as I can remember. I was really good at it and very passionate about everything that I could get my hands on that had to do with how we learn, how the brain learns. So I actually went into neuroscience in medical wow. school. And putting myself through medical school, my entrepreneurial side, I worked four jobs to put myself through university. And all of those jobs had something to do with um, special communities and special needs students, from severe and profound autistic to emotionally disturbed to working with neonatals um, wow. that were addicted to drugs wow. and their mothers trying to get them back. On a pathway of purpose, um, it's what made me feel alive, and it's what taught me what true passion was. that, as I said before, it's not what you're good at because I was good at school, and it's not what I love to do, which is learning. And I loved learning about the brain, every single part of neuroscience I love, but it wasn't what I was meant to do. And mm-hmm. it is through as an entrepreneur that led me to becoming an educator. And so I quit medical school and I went back to college and I became a teacher and no one that I knew supported me because Whoa. at the time that I was going to school, it was, and it still is a really big deal at, to be in medical school and a really big sure. deal to sure. be the first woman in my family to go to college, the first woman in my family to pursue a pathway of medicine. And there's prestige in that. Not as much prestige, unfortunately, in being a teacher. So when I went back home and announced to everybody that I found my passion and that I found my calling and I'm going to quit medical school and be a teacher, mm-hmm. um, it was met with a lot of resistance. And I think that's where you know that it's true passion, because no matter what, no matter how much resistance and no matter how much uh, challenge, the act of not educating, the act of not being a teacher, was akin to not breathing. So that's how I define passion. When you must do something and the thought of not doing it is like the thought of not breathing. And I guess you see yourself as a teacher today as well. However, yeah. how did you make the shift from being a teacher literally to educate people who are not uh, just sitting in class and uh, having exams? So I think there is a lot of training going on and very little teaching. And because I understand learning and how to move structures to move forward learning independently and collectively is a really rare skill set. And so I think that whether it's the lens of marketing or it's the lens of entrepreneurship or the lens of innovation, When you understand that learning is at the core of that and how to facilitate that, 
then I think I've, I've always thought that whether you're marketing or you're selling or you're, you're pitching something, you're really educating. <laughs> you're educating your community, you're educating investors, you're educating. So there isn't an aspect of what I do that's not education. It's funny because I am probably categorized most as an inspirational, motivational speaker, which I find funny because I have no desire really to inspire or motivate people, <laughs> but I have great, what do you mean? Yeah, great, great aspiration to help them discover what motivates themselves from the inside out to activate action. Some, because I think that's where the most inspiring stuff happens when people discover what they're truly capable of, you know, to help lead that out. And that's exactly what I wanted to ask. Yeah. How do you see actually your mission today? I mean, when you're going through these companies or when you're speaking on stage, what is the main purpose? Are you talking about really inspiring people? Are you talking about helping them to find their passion? I think my main purpose is setting an expectation of action and an expectation of impact. So a lot of times when people come to hear a speaker, they expect to be entertained and they expect to be um, inspired. inspired. That's a very yeah. passive state. And so the key to learning Love it. is shifting the responsibility to the learner. It's not my job to entertain. It's not my job to inspire. It is my job, however, to create the conditions for which they seek responsibility to do something after what they've heard. So I, I demand participation and demand an expectation that they will do something. Um, and it takes a lot of conversation with the organizers. Because I'm not there to just do a song and dance. I have an expectation that they will do at least one thing differently afterwards. And so I, I always say that, you know, my job isn't to try to convince them to believe me. My job is to convince them to believe in themselves. Sure. And, and then that's the most inspiring thing. And you can feel it in the air when the audience turns into that when it's being about me and it starts being about them and I see them reflect and I see them react and I see them excited and right during or after the speech they're tweeting what they did and tweeting what they're going to do and they're putting their goals public and it's the most inspiring thing so I'm the one who actually leaves inspired <laughs> and leaves more <laughs> yeah and part of it is getting used to being uncomfortable on stage. Like I put them in a state of dissonance and I put myself out there too, because I won't ask them to do something that I don't demand of myself. And we just do it together. It's hard to explain. It's a journey. In, it's this journey that we take together. Even though it's an hour, it really is a journey. Who are your customers today? Yeah, so it's really interesting. Before, um, I did a TED Talk five years ago, and before the TED Talk, I had a massive amount of content. I had eight books at that time, and I wow. had 4,000 blog posts. I was contributing to four different leadership innovation blogs, and I was writing about very topic-specific things, neuroscience, the anatomy of the web, the anatomy of the social transformation of the web, digital citizenship, digital impact. 
um, all of these things. And so I was getting requests for content. And so that was really specific. So a lot of social media, a lot of personal branding, a lot of what I have this term that I made up called the habitudes. Hmm. It's um, a combination of habits plus attitudes that are demanded in any context, in any field. Habitudes, it's habit plus attitude. And then I did this TED talk where I'm trying to, you get seven. So the format of TED is you get 17 minutes to tell the world how you're going to change the world. Yeah. And I had this beautiful talk about social media all ready to go. And at the morning, the night before the talk, I watched all of these, my favorite, like top six TED talk. And they're all like profound people. Um, and I, I started doubting myself. I, I started thinking like, mm. who am I? Like, I can't do this. I was going to bow out. Like, oh. I don't have anything worthy to say. And I thought, you know what? That is the problem with the world. The reason we don't contribute our fullest, fiercest genius to the world is because we don't think mm. we're enough. We don't think we matter. So the name of my talk was You Matter. And the simple thesis was, if people understood how much they mattered, how much they were needed, how much they were counted on, everything in the world changes. And so that's what it is, how these two simple words have changed the world. And watching it mm. literally turn into a movement where the message of mattering has been shared I think our last analysis was 15 million times. Wow. The talk started hundreds of thousands of times. And the message of mattering is now a core part of 68,000 classrooms with almost a million kids using their genius to change the world. Hmm. And it all is because they believe in matter. That has become my most requested topic. And it is not only interesting to watch that happen where... I'm not requested anymore to talk about this content, to talk about my research and science and learning and skills and social and all those things that I have researched for 25 years. But now it doesn't matter what company I can. So in the last four weeks, I've been with banking institutions. I've been with real estate executives. I've been with hospital boards. I've been with school board leaders. I've been with children and I've been with teachers and everything in between. And the single request was, please let us know that we matter. <laughs> wow. Very telling place that we are in the world. First of all, we'll put a link to the TED Talk oh. on the show notes of this interview. And I'm sure it will help many people to feel they matter. And I just want, yeah. uh, before I ask you for your advice to entrepreneurs, I want to ask you, when did you start to be an entrepreneur or do you see yourself an entrepreneur since you started teaching or did you make some shift like actually I did? Yeah. When did it happen? Well, I think I have been that in my core since I began in the real world at university, even putting myself through college in very unique ways. But I didn't have a name for it. Back then, 30-some years ago, entrepreneurialism was not right. really about concept. But that's where the habitudes come in, this mindset. And so when I went into education, they are not of what I would call the innovator or entrepreneurial mindset. Mm -hmm. 
They're what I call the employee mindset. And it's not bad. It's just different. And an employee mindset is where I come in, I clock in, I clock out, I get credit for when I'm there. My success is built on this hierarchy of pretty predictable things. And government agencies and HR and education recruit very carefully for that employee mindset. You don't want really, you know, groundbreakers, innovative thinkers, dreamers, because they don't fit that nine to five. That's right. So even though my work with students is, you know, fueled my soul, I never really thought I fit. There's just something about the way I thought, the way I saw the world, the way that I wanted to be. Um, never really fit in education or really my whole life. I can go back to even high school. I just felt different. Hmm. Um, I always dreamed audaciously. I've always seen my, my mission to make an impact, to do things that were never done before. And there was really no affiliation with anybody that wouldn't think you were crazy. And so when I got to the web, when I started social, I started my blog and I started connecting and reading people like Seth Godin and um, just Gary Vandercheck mm. and all these. I'm like, oh my God, I'm not crazy. I'm an entrepreneur. <laughs> <laughs> and how many years ago was it? 14. Wow. 14 years. Wow. Yeah. And I want to ask you, yeah. what would be, you know, this podcast is all about seeing things or looking at things from the point of view of your customers. And serving as you say but many first of all to listen and be entrepreneur once you decided to be entrepreneur you also decided to be a business or a business person and in order to be a business person you have to listen to your customers and I want to ask you from your entrepreneurship and perhaps your entrepreneurship really started at high school it's totally fine yes. I want to ask you what would be your best advice to any entrepreneur that listen to us right now oh my gosh that is that is a great question <laughs> and I think a hard question that is really loaded is how do you wish to matter or another way to put it is how will you add value? Because mattering isn't all about just you wanting to feel worthwhile. The way we get to the deepest level of worthiness is understanding not only that we are essential, but how we can be essential. And that's our deepest fulfillment, knowing that we fill a need for someone. Seth Godin calls it art. Like, how will you contribute mm. your art? And I think that's the difference between running a business and being an entrepreneur. Running a business is selling art. Being an entrepreneur is being art, <laughs> working on art and contributing your art fully and fiercely to the world. And so it, it is a way of life, not necessarily a vocation. And so it doesn't mean that if you run a business that you're not passionate, sure. but it is really different. It is not so much about product. It is about the intersection of passion and your purpose. And our purpose is to make an impact. So what would be the advice? How would you put it as an advice? That is a really incredible question. It is 
I think it goes back to the value question. What is your unique value proposition, which is a combination of what is your genius and how will you sharing it be valuable to other people? Because value isn't a price thing. It isn't a money thing. It is a worthiness thing. And how are you living up to your full value, but also providing value for other people? And finding that balance. I love it. And I always call it, what are you one of a kind of and yes. how will you share it with others? But yes, exactly. one of the kind, I think that uh, for each of us, there is one or two things that they yes, are agree. one of a kind. And each of us should find their one of a kind path. That's exactly right. Exactly right. You're yeah. one thing. Yeah, I think uh, it might change between different stages of our lives, right. but you have your unique gift and there is where your yes. value, you can't even measure the value that you can bring to others. That's what I think. And I call that our genius. And, right. and people misinterpret the word genius. They think that it is this anomaly, that genius is like some DNA anomaly, like you have blue eyes. It isn't. It is our birthright. Mm-hmm. It is the source of our, our resilience and the fuel for our innovation and ingenuity. And it is, it is in all of us. And we have a, a moral obligation, not just an emotional or academic or economic obligation to share our genius with the world. We were born to make an impact. And whatever that is, We have something that someone else in the world Need. needs. Sure. We have a responsibility to share. Sure. You know, Angela, I know, and we'll talk about this in a minute, you have a lot of successes. But I want to ask you to share with us, what is your biggest, most critical failure with customers, mm. whoever you call customer? The one that right. affected your entrepreneurial journey the most or almost the most. Can you share it with us? Yes. Yes, I can. So part of an entrepreneur is not the lack of ideas, not the lack of vision, but surrounding yourself with the wrong people. And I think I learned um, hard, really hard. I've made some bad mistakes by thinking that this, what I call a dream team, were people who liked you and not mm. the right, necessarily the right people who can move the mission forward. And so I attracted people to the work that I was doing, especially the work around the concept of mattering. I said a nonprofit called Choose to Matter. Yeah. And so it's intriguing because who doesn't want to matter? And so I think people were attracted to me But not necessarily and weren't bad people were just not the right people for the mission to move forward. And it's extremely hard. I think when you look at startups and you might find the same data, the reason 98% of startups fail is not because of idea or even funding. It's because they have not found the right partners or the right team. And so it is my it's been my struggle, my climb. To find the right people and I think part of the team that you surround yourself with aren't people that are necessarily like-minded or from the same field I think that's actually a detriment right that 
it has to be people that might not have actually any passion for what what the work is, but they're really genius at at moving a certain aspect of the mission forward. And so I can go into detail, but I no, you don't have to. I mean, most of my clients are speaking clients, and I think that I've done really well trying to meet their needs. But the community that I want to serve would choose to matter. It's hard because my ability to do that requires the exact right team. And nobody gives you a book on that as an entrepreneur of what kind of team you need and that you can't do it alone. Even if you're the visionary behind it, you can't do it all alone. And, and there's a lot of learning that happens as you meet different people who, you know, <laughs> say they want to help, but aren't necessarily helpful. So hmm. I think a lot of entrepreneurs can find themselves in this story. It is really a big challenge. You know, when I started my entrepreneurship journey, I considered whether to take a partner with me to this journey or do yeah. it by myself. Yeah. I remember my brother, I think we, uh, all, uh, all three of us, our sister and the two of us, we were blessed to find the right partner to live with our lives. He's 14 years older than me, and he's a very successful business person. But he said, you know, finding your business partnership is, I think, harder than finding your partner to life or, you, or, or is harder than marriage. He was right. Yes, very much. I will, you brought something else in the concept of partnership. It's a twofold thing. It's hard to be married. I'm, I'm open, but I am divorced. And it is hard to be married to an entrepreneur on the, to benefit mm -hmm. him. My ex-husband and I are, are friends and it was amicable, but I'm hard. It's hard to live with somebody who, and that's the difference I think between an entrepreneur and a business owner, a business owner might put in hours like physical hours, but an entrepreneur puts in emotional hours. It mm -hmm. is never off. There is never downtime. And in the beginning of this journey, I didn't do a great job of balancing my mission and who I was as a mother, who I was as a wife. So I think our mental health is, is at risk as an entrepreneur because the work is so all encompassing, all in, you're not halfway in, you're all in right. as an entrepreneur and all in no matter what, whether it fails whether it succeeds, it is, there is no like beginning and end of the day. And you have to be extremely disciplined to balance life. Hmm. And I don't like concept of work-life balance. I agree. I had the term, but you have to find it. Yeah. But I think you have to balance your energy and it isn't about forcing yourself not to work because I feel when you're doing the work you were meant to do, you don't need a vacation. Mm -hmm. And yet you absolutely need a vacation. So I was unplugged in the mountains for six days. And I will admit it's really hard, <laughs> but I needed that. And now I'm ready and I'm refreshed and I'm refilled. I wouldn't have done that for a million dollars five years ago or 10 years ago. And now I plan it because I must. And it's not just a commitment to my partner, it's a commitment to me as a human being definitely, and to my business partner, whoever I need to be. I cannot be my fullest self if I'm not, if my energy 
isn't balanced. That's correct. And now I would like to ask you yes. to tell us the story of your greatest, most significant success as a result of the right customer focus or something you did right about approaching your customers. I think that I have always gone to the source to get my research. I haven't done it surrounding anything and it doesn't need to be fancy. So when I wanted to create a framework for education to turn mattering into practice so that it isn't just common sense, but it's commonplace and common practice, I went directly to the source, which is students. And I asked a half a million students wow. in every state in the United States and every grade level, kindergarten through 12th grade, what would make them run to school? And when they said, well, we just want to matter, I said, well, we need to break that down. What does that look like? What is the one thing someone can do? And when I wanted to then move that work into organizations and to industry, I worked with the largest employee engagement network. And ask them the same question: What would make you run to work every day? And then took that data and operationalized it. So I'm not I'm a visionary in terms of how wide I want the impact and how scalable and sizable I want that implementation to be. People don't aren't motivated by theories and theorems. They're motivated by real experience. And I wanted to know what their day-to-day is. And so I think that's my greatest success with implementation and impact is when it comes to transformation, you can't guess on how to transform people. You need to find out what their vision is. And I think it's more than just taking the customer's journey. Like you need to use that data, not just collect that data. You need to use that data. And I think that's for every industry. I love it so much because when we are talking about listening to the customer or finding out as an entrepreneur, you should find where is your biggest opportunity. Exactly. Who are the customers that are already willing to adopt and to use and to pay right. for your product or exactly. service? And to do that, you can't sit and brainstorm. You have to go and see the customers. And the issue is that if at the past when I worked with the leading brands, We just spent tens and hundreds of thousands of yes. dollars trying to search this, to research that. Today, it's all out there. You have to work very methodically, yes. but people are sharing everything, and we can find so much things about where people, what are they right. doing, who are the people that really hurt, or who are the first ones that will adopt your product. Right. And this research... At the heart of entrepreneurship is so important because once you want to take our idea and then give it to someone else that will pay for that and will use it right. and it will help them, we must research, really research to find out the answers, not to think and try over and over, all over again without finding the answers. 100%. There's a mantra that I live by. You cannot help someone unless you hear someone. So one of the tenets mm. of mattering it, that is absolutely essential is people need to be heard. Definitely. And you would not believe the feedback where people are asked all the time, employees, community members, clients are asked all the time what they want. And then the company 
or the organization does something totally different. So they stopped sure. talking because even if they voiced their opinions, they didn't feel heard. So just asking for someone's opinion is not enough. People need to know that they were heard. And if yeah. you try to, to, to give them more stuff or based on your belief, show them this because you think they need it, it isn't going to matter unless they feel they were heard. And when they are heard, only then are you in a position where you can help them. This is so true. And it comes back to your initial things that yes. you said about we want to matter. Yes. We want to know that we are matter and we, then we can take it further. I want to jump to another thing for a minute and ask you, can you recommend the best or most effective technological or digital tool yes. that related to customer focus or to marketing or sales? However, I'm not looking at the last shyness tool right. in the endless list. Absolutely. I'm looking for something yep. that really helps you succeed, really helps you make or accomplish yes. the assignments that you have to accomplish and really helps you in your daily life. So what's really funny and beautiful about that is I think we all suffer from the shiny new tool syndrome. Mm -hmm. And if I look at my journey in social media, my journey as an entrepreneur, I have basically used the same five tools since the beginning when I start and they are my core. And so each serves a different purpose and I think understanding that the function of what you want to do has to lead. The purpose has to lead. So I think the two that are essential as an entrepreneur are Twitter. And I know that Twitter has gone through lots of iterations, but if I really want to know what people are saying, mm -hmm. then I need to be masterful at learning how to search the conversations. And hashtags were... absolutely revolutionary definitely because it allowed you to get into the community the real conversation and through twitter lists and other things and it, it used to be really powerful and i think there's still some power in it but some of the most profound listening work that i did was in twitter chats and when probably five years ago when they used to be pretty regular i think they're less and less But I, I think they need to come back because they're effective. They're effective in finding um, what I would call on the ground influencers, not famous influencers, mm. but in the conversation. Um, I think they're incredible listening where I can start seeing, you know, what are the real questions coming up and, and how are people asking for help and what are they asking for help on and where are the themes in that? You have to be. A true pattern detector and you know Sherlock level Holmes observer in those conversations and not jump in trying to sell a product or trying to get them <laughs> to notice your thing so I think Twitter's got an abundance of possibility and then I think on a different objective I think the best way to connect with your customers for them to get to know you as an entrepreneur and As a brand, the authentic you, not the surface you that that you have on your logo, but who you really are, there is nothing more disruptive than video. Hmm. And video evolving 
over and over and over. And I can do more in an hour of video, in a half an hour of video, than I could in 57,000 blocks because people can see through. You can't fake authentic. And that is what allows you to reach above. So if I look at Gary Vee, hmm. one of the most successful entrepreneurs, the way that I think he disrupted is video. Is you may hate him or you may love him. And he, there's probably no in between with Gary Vee, <laughs> but it has a video. And, you know, one thing that you can say, no matter how you feel, is you get the real person in there. And so I, I think that is what has been successful for me is video. And I don't mean contrived videos, I mean video. They need to see you, they need to hear you, they need to feel like they know you. And you can rally so many people that way. And so with the integration of video on Facebook and with the integration of video on LinkedIn, it doesn't really matter where and in what place video serves. I think that it is absolutely essential for every entrepreneur to have a video presence. Hmm. I do agree with you. And I must say that I just lately started the Facebook yeah. Live yeah. and I find it even oh. much, much powerful than everything. everything else I've done with video before. Absolutely. Because being there live, uh, but not only speaking on a stage, but being there live, interacting yep. with them exactly. on real time and uh, everything feels so close when you're just sitting and talking live. I love this uh, medium. You know, there are many factors that affect successes than each successful person, but I personally believe that for each of us, there is one factor that really makes it for them. One factor that really yeah. affects their success and their lives. And I want to ask you, what yes. is your one key success factor? So this is the habitudes that I was talking about. Um, the habit and attitude of self-awareness. And it is one of the least talked about attributes that are, that is foundational to entrepreneurism. And yes, the other habitudes matter. Passion matters, as we've talked about. Courage matters. Adaptability matters. Imagination matters. Curiosity, all of those things. But as an entrepreneur specifically, if you don't have self-awareness, you can't lead, you can't innovate, you can't make the impact you were meant to be. Self-awareness is the ability to be inside and outside of yourself simultaneously. And so let me explain. Yeah, I wanted to ask, what do you mean? Yeah, so think about, people think branding is what you say about yourself. It is not. Branding is what other people say about you when you leave the room. And you need to take both of those things into account. You need to be in a state of, so I, I say to leaders, you have to at all times carry a window and a mirror with you <laughs> because that represents the two component part of self-awareness that you have to be able to look yourself in the mirror with deepest honesty and call yourself on your own stuff. You can't just look at these are my greatest assets. You also have to be really aware of what your weaknesses are and see them as places of growth. No one can be good at everything. And you need to know not only where you shine, but you also need to know 
where your vulnerability spots are, what challenges you so that you can constantly be learning and working on those, or you can bring in other people that have those strengths and use them to accelerate your impact. And the other thing you have to be aware of is that people are looking at you through their own window. And sometimes they get a glance of you and sometimes they peer in for a certain amount of time. But every one of us in, especially in digital, is surrounded by a 360 degree plexiglass window. And people are seeing different vantage points of you. And you have to make sure that that is constantly aligned. That if you get information and people are putting you in a certain category or putting you in a certain realm because they only see one piece of you, you can either use that to open up opportunities and grow your own positioning of yourself or you can sort of brand against that sort of say, you know what, I'm not just this, I'm also blank, blank, blank. But all of this is data for you. And it's data that we're getting in real time. And if you think about how the web itself is set up, so think about LinkedIn, for example, LinkedIn, your influence on LinkedIn has nothing to do with what you say about yourself. It is about the categories in which people recommend you in. And that's how your influence grows on LinkedIn. So that's the window. People see you, categorize you, label you, and you have to be consistent enough in your own brand to be able to say, oh, I like that label and I want to be known more for that. Or I don't really like that and I want to tribute things that give people a broader or a more accurate view. The bottom line is you cannot control necessarily people's perceptions of you, hmm. but you can control the story you tell about yourself so that people can garner new reflections of you. And of course, you can uh, control what you do with that and how you do with it and how you impact. Exactly. And uh, my last question before I'll ask you what is the best way to be in contact with you. My yeah. last question is my mountain <laughs> question. Yeah. And as my listeners know, I always imagine this journey of marketing, of building some position in the mind of the customer as climbing a mountain. Mm -hmm. First, get this awareness and the trust and then actually build the brand. Yes. And I always imagine it as climbing a mountain and then climbing another mountain. Yeah. And at some point, yeah. I started to ask my guests, and that's what I ask you, yeah. whether you ever climbed a mountain or wish to climb a mountain, yeah. or do you have any relationships with mountains at all? Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, I to live in the mountains, so that is helpful. But more importantly, I just came from the mountains. Oh. And I just... Uh, spent a week in Yellowstone mm -hmm. in this just beautiful mountains of Montana and went hiking every day. And each day we took a different path and each day we pushed ourselves differently from the first day all the way on. And that really is a choice. Like there were only two of us. There was a group of about a hundred people that went on this um, week long camping Uh, get together that happens once a year. 
And two, every day I'm asking, you want to go hike with me? You want to go climb with me? No, nobody wants to do it because they see it's a mountain and then it's just too hard. So I think that really represents a lot of the population. A lot of the population doesn't have the endurance, doesn't have the vision, doesn't have the adaptability to even the confidence to try. They see a mountain and they're like, that's too hard. Mm. Uh, yeah, no, I'm comfortable here right on the flat ground. And the people that did come with me every day, I we took it at their own pace. You don't climb a mountain in one trip. You do it in by pacing, but climbing and hiking are about pacing and it's about self-awareness. It's about being aware of what your abilities are, but also pushing your abilities beyond that mm. to continue to say like, I, even if it's a few steps more than I can go today and the feeling of exhilaration, even if you didn't make it to the top, but the feeling of exhilaration every single day that I went a little bit further and I climbed a little bit harder and I tried this, it is going through those peaks and valleys that it ultimately builds your endurance. And as we talked about, passion is about enduring suffering. The root word of passion is pain. Mm. And the testament to who we are as passionate entrepreneurs is correlated to the amount of pain that we can endure. And it doesn't necessarily mean physical pain. It can be emotional pain. It, it can be physical pain. It's exhausting being an entrepreneur, mm -hmm. but it's about balancing all of those peaks and valleys so that you can endure a little bit more the next day and a little bit more the next day and a little bit more and not think that you're going to just climb a mountain without that practice and without that pacing. And it's just a reminder of what, and it's so funny because when you're in the mountains, the actual mountains, it's just the most beautiful time to reflect on your journey. Mm, right. Entrepreneur, your journey as a human being, there's something about being at the top of a peak and looking over and then looking down and think, oh my God, I did, I came this far. We need to do that for each other. We need to do that on our own. We need to, whatever our peak is, we need to stay up there. Not always be thinking, what can I do next? What can I do next? But reinforce to ourselves that we've come from somewhere, that we've come from some place. And even though there might have been low, low valleys, that it, it, it is about the climb. I know that sounds so cliche, but it's not. It really about that. It really, really is. I do agree with you. Angela, I want to ask you, yeah. what is the best way to be in contact and connect with you for any of our listeners yeah. that would like to be in touch? I'm on every platform and I'm consistent on every platform. That's the other piece of advice. Own your name, own your brand, not just the name of your company, but who you are. You need to be accessible to people. And so it's Angela Myers everywhere. So if LinkedIn is your thing, it's that on LinkedIn. If Facebook is your thing, if Twitter is your thing, whatever your thing is, I want to be there to hear it, to hear from you, to connect with you, to, to learn from you. Um, and then I use the hashtag you matter or choose the number two matter. And so, um, if you're doing something that's making an impact, that's mattering, I want to hear about it and share that as well. And then it's same with my email. It's Angela Myers at gmail.com. So everything's Angela Myers. <laughs> Easy to find. Mm -hmm. 
It sounds great. And as easy it is, we're still yeah. going to yeah. have all the links yeah. in the show notes of this interview. So it will be yeah. very easy to find you through there. And Angela, I would like to thank you so much My for pleasure. this. I won't say inspiring because no, we I, talked about inspiration. I feel inspired. That's what's exciting. I feel inspired. <laughs> <laughs> But thank you so much for this so important and so beautiful and such an honest conversation and things that we heard from you. I really want to thank you for that. Thank you. I want to hear from your audience. I want to help them in any way that I can. Um, thank you for this opportunity to share just, it's a reflective process and it's hard. And I think just reminding people that hard isn't bad, but hard is hard sometimes. And we need each other. You, you can't do this alone, even though you are genius, we are smarter together and we need to support each other as entrepreneurs because it's a hard journey and it is worth it. But I'm so grateful to be connected to you, to your community. And um, I just can't wait for more. Hmm. Thank you so much and take care. Yes, thank you. And bye-bye. Bye. Bye. And for you, our listeners, until the next time, it all goes down to this. You either reach or miss. Keep reaching your goals and vision. Bye. Thank you for listening to The Reach or Miss Show, the podcast for the customer-focused entrepreneur. You can find all the information, links, and resources that was mentioned at the show in our website, reachormiss.com. See you next week.